Here it is. Again. <laughs> and it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act. They'll just boggle your mind. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey, everybody. I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the Devo episode of Deep Dives, Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. Today we've got a really great show. We're touching on one of uh, one of my favorite bands from my childhood, to be honest. This is a deep dive on the band Devo. And uh, really, there's some great tunes, maybe a surprise or two waiting for you. But uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about it. Let's just kick it off with starting with, uh, with the song. This is Uncontrollable Urge. off of this song i'm just gonna say this about uncontrollable urge it's a great it's a great song and it definitely sounds devo but i want to point out to joseph that i, I sense a little 1950s rock and roll guitar in there <laughs> at, the, at the beginning right you're talking yeah, about at the, the beginning very, at the very beginning <laughs> yeah, well i i love the song i love it enough to forgive it for that uh that trespass. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a song that uh, this is the song that they perform in our favorite music documentary, of course, um, Erga Music War. So yeah. it's a beloved uh, beloved song. Well, well, today's like I said, it's a really great episode. We've got a lot planned. It's a deep dive on Debo, but also we have a very special guest with us tonight, Joseph. We do. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael Michael Greco is here, and Michael is a, well, he's a photographer, and he spent a lot of time with some, some great bands over the years, namely Devo. Uh, right now, he's uh, he's got a book out called Punk, Post-Punk, and New Wave, but uh, please say hello to Michael Greco. Hey, guys. Every, hey, everyone. Um, kind of good. The book title goes... Perfectly with the name of the show, yep. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, punk, we're post punk new wave. Yeah, we're 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 hoping that you don't uh, sue us for liable for 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 inadvertently <laughs> nicking the title of your book. No, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. The the years are a little different. It's it's nineteen seventy eight to I think nineteen ninety one. I have to remember, but but in the book, the very first band from nineteen seventy eight that started off. This whole collection of work is Devo. It's my first, my first real, you know, non-local band punk show. Yeah. So, so I am dying to get a better sense of your history as far as uh, you were. You were like 
You were on the ground, front line, when this whole scene, this music, this beloved music that we adore so much, was really starting to take off, right? Totally. I, you know, I have an interesting history because I was, I grew up in New York and I was really into jazz and I was into like weird arty jazz besides the classic jazz and Stan Getz and Keith Jarrett and, you know, things that I would consider more classic. I was into Anthony Braxton, who was totally dissonant and crazy and the art ensemble of Chicago and there was this little place in New York called the kitchen where these weird dissonant crazy jazz players would be and and I really hated re, you know regular radio I thought it sucked behind like I really you know the rushes and the journeys and the Alice Coopers and the stuff that music companies produced I thought wasn't authentic and then I moved to Boston and I wandered into the Rat Skeller and heard like the Boston Battle of the Bands in this little club and it was crazy. You know, the, that punk energy seemed so authentic to me and it, it, it brought me back to rock and roll. And you know, like I said, the first band I saw was Devo and, and Devo like had combined and used all that dissonance and craziness and you know they have a little bit of the uh ramones to them you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know so it's just like and there's like weird noises and they were the coolest Right. So, so Devo releases their first album in 1978, but they were, they were together since uh, 1973. Do you have a sense of what year it was when you first saw them? Yeah, it was 78. You know, there's an interesting thing. People from record companies, I think, are typically extremely lazy. Either that, yeah. either that or if they have something that worked, they stick to it. So Boston, even though they were a, a band from Akron, Ohio... Boston was the first date of every tour of every band. So if you were a band from, you know, if you were Billy Idol and you were coming in from the UK, Boston was an hour shorter flight, you know, 40 minutes shorter flight, and it was a warm-up to New York. And the bands just started their tour. So, so even though Devo, you know, I'm sure had toured locally, and when they had their record deal in 1978 they started their tour their first tour with a national record deal at the paradise club in boston mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when did when did the photography start for you i mean it, it my one of my questions was going to be be what came first the love of the music of the or the photography but it sounded like sounds like you connected with the music first before you started photographing these bands no i i probably i probably got really into music at like 14 but at 13 i was in in a summer camp in De breezemont day camp in armonk new york and I learned the darkroom um, in the science shack, basically. And I bought a camera and I would photograph like the hot counselors in their bikinis around the pool. And then I would go and develop the film and make prints. And, and I, I knew that there was, there was a mystery and a magic to photography. And when I moved to Boston, um, it was with the intent to study filmmaking and photography. So I was in uh, the School of Public Communications at the time. 
um, which is now the College of Communications at Boston University. And I was, the interesting thing is, you know, a lot of people who know photography say, wow, you know, pictures in your in your uh, punk, post-punk, new wave book, like they're, they've got some technical prowess to them too. But for me, you have to realize that I was being trained by amazing photojournalists with the Associated Press during the day, and then I was a club kid and lover of the music at night. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so when, what do you, I'm, I'm sure you remember the first punk or new wave band that you got paid to, to photograph. I, you know, I was a hanger-oner. So I, I, I and I started doing shoots for the local K-Rock station in, in Boston, which was WBCN. And I also started doing uh, shoots for Boston Rock Magazine, which, which was put out by Newbury Comics, which was the, you know, the cool, hip, uh, record store on Newbury Street that had imports and and things you couldn't get. I mean, my this Devo album I have has got the first one has got a marble uh, marbleized colored vinyl. I don't know if yours has that too, but um, um, you know they had a lot of collectors editions, a lot of imports, and so I would do these little jobs for WBCN. I do these jobs for. Um, for Boston Rock Magazine, and but you know, Devo was my first shoot. I just shot. I used to bring a camera with me all the time, mm -hmm. and I just shot. And it, it wasn't. I don't remember which was the first one I got paid for. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I know that Rob and I have a lot of specific questions about your book, and we'll we'll set aside some time um, at the end to uh, dive into that a little bit more, but. I think it's time to start talking about Devo and start listening to some music. So uh, let's just let's just go through the vital stats about the basics of Devo. What you should know. Um, over the years, Devo has had um, a fair amount of band members, but there have been three core members that were three of the founding members who are, who have been, been throughout the history of the band. Um, so we'll just quickly run through that roster. It's um, Gerald Castle, Mark Mothersborrow. Am I pronouncing that right? Anyone know? I believe it's Mothersburg. Mothersburg. Okay. And um, Bob, who must be a brother, uh, Mothersburg as well. Uh, and they, they all sort of shared duties as far as vocals, guitars, synthesizers. Um, they were from um, Arkin, Ohio. They formed in 1973. The top five uh, Devo songs on Spotify are, surprise, surprise, number one being Whip It, number two being Uncontrollable Lurch, which we just heard, number three, Gut Feeling, number four is Girl You Want, and number five, Can't Get No Satisfaction. Um, it should be noted that all... Five of those songs are off just two of their albums, their first album and their third album. So, I noticed, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I just noticed that one of my very favorite songs is not on that top five. And, and, and what is that? Working in the coal mine. 
Oh yeah, you you know how I feel about uh, covers. Covers, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no. I think it was a, a local Boston band, Someone in the Somebodies. See if you can find their version of it, which actually is better than the Devo version. Mm. But you, um. you know, you know what's amazing to me is, out of all their songs, they open the first album with Uncontrollable Urge, and it's like, you know, in, a, in the movie business, the, the term cold open, you know, when the open is like, hits you over the head. Yeah. It was yeah. like such a great song to open with on your first album. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, oh, so last episode we discussed their first album, and I specifically didn't play uh, that song, even though I love it so much, just because I felt like, well, that that's the song that has to open the deep dive on Devo for sure. Uh, so, Rob, you ready to talk rankings? Yeah. Well. So. Yeah. So, Michael, we. Uh, each of us rank our our the, the albums from least favorite to favorite. I kind of get the sense that you're you're gonna bow out of this part, unless you want to join us or just note. It sounds sounds like the the first three albums are are your favorites since those are the ones you own. Well, I I mean I'm definitely own the first three, but one and three are my favorites. And, and mm -hmm. I guess our choice list, so I don't mind, I just don't have as much, as much as I heard the songs um, later, um, you know, that, that were working in the coal mine, things like that, I'd sort of moved on. You know, part of Devo was that when you heard them the first time, it, they were just like, so fresh and so disturbing yeah. and so like there are few bands that do that i mean the ramones did that um uh, you know joy division did that you know they're they're so the heads did that they're so original and they take you off guard and and then you know they tended to you know like working in a coal mine and work towards you know even whip it um became a little more try to hit more of a commercial note um, but I, I mean, I can't believe how many amazing songs came off of their debut album. Yeah, yeah. So Rob, uh, my sense is that uh, my ranking is going to be fairly scandalous. So let's let's <laughs> let's do yours first. <laughs> okay, okay, we can do mine first. Yeah. Um, so I guess I can start from now. We're covering nine albums of Devo, right? So I can start with number nine and go down to number one, my favorite? Exactly. Okay, well, uh, and I'm just going to plow through a few of them here because I'm not crazy about some of them. Yeah. And that might be, that might also be a little scandalous, but here goes. Uh, my number nine is Smooth Noodle Maps. Number eight is Something for Everybody. Number seven is Total Devo. Number six, here's some scandal, Q, Are We Not Men? A, We Are Devo. Number five is Shout. Number four is Oh No, It's Devo. Number three, Freedom of Choice. Number two, Duty Now for the Future. And number one, New Traditionalists. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're... Your rankings are probably just about as surprising as mine are going to be. Um, That's hilarious. So I, I was familiar with all of these albums, uh, it turned out. Um, but 
uh, some of them I hadn't heard in a long, long time. So, <clears throat> oh, and one thing I do, I, I do want to note is that um, it, it's really interesting. The My favorite Devo albums, I, I think there's really only two that I absolutely love and none of them that I absolutely hate. But my right. three favorite Devo albums are really spread out chronologically. So what's typical for a band is like the quality either is one of two. It's like a bell curve or it's like it's like a, a slide down where every album gets a little bit worse. Uh. But with Devo, it's really like they have periods that just absolutely resonate with me. And then in between those periods, it's it feels like they're just sort of on cruise control. So, all right. So number nine for me is Total Devo. <clears throat> number eight is Shout. Number seven is Smooth Noodle Maps. Number six is New Traditionalists. Number five is Are We Not Men? We Are Devo. Number four is Freedom of Choice. Number three is Something for Everyone. Number two is Duty for the Future. And my very favorite Devo album is Oh No, It's Devo. Oh, very good. You yeah. Know, we, only, we only matched on one of those, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so between the three of us, I think just about every, well, until, until the last couple of albums, every album is going to have an enthusiast. So yeah. this is great. Um, any, anything you want to add, Michael, uh, about, uh, your feelings about these albums or your disgust at our rankings of these albums? No, no, I, it's good. <laughs> like I said, you know, they, 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 they hit it home big with the first album and then yeah. album number two, uh, kind of left me like triumph of the will and it, it was okay. It, you know, second album didn't blow my mind, but the, the, by the third album, they were back, you know, by the third album, freedom of choice was fun. You know, it, it was interesting to hear them go from, uh, college radio to by the third album, freedom of choice had made like, AOR album oriented rock stations and the K rock stations and that sort of thing. So that transition was, was interesting to hear. All right. Well, I think we're ready to start talking albums. Yeah. Their debut album uh, was released in 1978 entitled Q are we not men? A we are Devo. Um, we talked a lot about this album last episode. We've already heard the songs Gut Feeling and Come Back Johnny. And um, this was, oh, and of course, Uncontrollable Urge at the top yeah. of the show. Um, this is Rolling Stone's greatest album of all time, number 442. Michael, we always make note of that because we really care about what Rolling Stone thinks. <laughs> I, I see that. I see that. Definitely. Sure we do. Sure we do. Um, so I, I've, I, I don't know that I have a lot more to say about this album because I don't want to repeat myself from last episode. Um, although... I, I do want to mention that the um, point out the song "Shrivel Up," which is just 
That song, if you played it for me and asked me to guess what band it was, I would never in a thousand years would I say Devo. It just would never occur to me yeah. that that it was Devo. They were. It, they it, were it's pretty. It's a pretty strange yeah, song. Yeah, I mean, I I like it, but it's just, you know, this. Every time I listen to this album, it 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 kind of surprises me again how punk this album is you know for right. for devo it's it's really punk in so many ways um well they come out i mean a lot of it comes out hard driving like the Ramones, yeah, right? yeah, yeah i, I yeah. think that i think that we're we missed a great song here though one of my favorite songs off of this album and it's so politically uncorrect and I don't think a record company would would you know allow them to name a song like that. But Mongoloid, I mean, the words to Mongoloid are brilliant, and the song is brilliant. You know, like a totally unconscious human um, of you know sort of that '50s uh, household uh, American dream kind of thing. You know, and they're describing him as a you know as the the head of the household, but he's a mongoloid. That's he's just happy because he's because he you know he's you know brainless. Mm -hmm. um, I I love that song. Yeah, I I do um, cringe a little bit at the lyrics. I mean, a little little personal insight to me. I have a, a little brother who's Down syndrome, so I, I just I. I think sonically it sounds great to me, but I, I just, I can't get past the, um, disparate, um, the disparity. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, there are so many great Devo songs. I'll go listen to another one, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that song. <laughs> I, I love the social commentary. That's what I yeah. like about it. Like if yeah. you if you don't take it literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. the social and and that's the trick there. If you don't take it literally, the social commentary is amazing. Yeah, to yeah. Me. Where are you at, Rob, on this album? Do you do you have any new insights uh, well, in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, I, I numbered it. You know, I, I numbered it kind of low, only because I like the other albums just a little bit better. It's not that mm. it's you know, it's not that I. I don't like this album at all. I do like this album quite a bit. And, um, I mean, my favorite, my very favorite song was played at the beginning of the show. Um, all the other songs to me, they just kind of fall a little bit short compared to the rest of Devo's career. But I, I really think that this is, it's kind of indicative of like their start and their, they're getting their act together yeah and and in the next album is when they find their sound and just run with it you know yeah and, and that's yeah. how i kind of feel about the album so yeah i um i love the energy and i love the sound i just i personally the the songwriting doesn't resonate with me as much as um some of the stuff that's about to come up so I think I think it should be said also that uh, Devo is what happens when you you hand brilliant people musical instruments and tell them to you know play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, let's move on to um, uh, their second album, "Duty Now for the Future," released in 1979. Um, I love this album. This is this 
this is probably the biggest revelation for me um, as I've been going through their catalog uh, as, as far as like how cool this album is. It's not um, nearly as aggressive sounding, but it sounds more competent to me. And uh, it seems like there's more attention um, to the, the, the songwriting and the arrangements. Although the uh, production is not quite as crisp and aggressive as their first album. Um, but I, I really like every single song off of this album. Here, here, agree with that. So what, uh, Rob, what, what song, do you, what, what is your favorite song off of this album? Okay, so I really, really like God. I, I want to say all of them, of course. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, think, I think my favorite one is S.I.B., uh, swelling, swelling, <laughs> swelling Itching Brain. And, and uh, I have to laugh at that because it, it's, it's silly as hell. But <laughs> it, it is my favorite. And to me, though, it's anxiety-inducing. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's about anxiety and, and this guy who's just, his head's going to blow because there's so much in it. But it, it, I don't know. I really dig it. There's something about Mark's vocals on this album, on this uh, track, that that I really like. And uh, you know, like I said before, this this guy's head is about to blow up, and listening to this song might be the thing that that carries that affliction to others. I don't know, but at the same time, it's it's just great to me. Great to me. You, Rob, you've given me new insights to this album <laughs> because it, it's like it's. It didn't hit me, you know. I spent the week playing uh, the the four records that I have uh, that I have of theirs, the four albums, uh, you know, old, my old vinyl. Yeah. And yeah. you know, this wasn't the one that stood out. But when you mention that and you listen to that one song, it's like it's pretty. It great. is pretty great. It really yeah, is. Exactly. It really is. This album is less jarring, I think, but more musically sophisticated. Yeah, and you know, it just it seems like they're being. I mean, for a punk and new wave, maybe the word deliberate isn't always a compliment. But for me, it maybe mindful is is a better word. They're they're being very mindful about the choices that they're making in their songwriting, and I, it just it is it just absolutely sucks me in. This is this is one of their two albums that. I think are, you know, minor masterpieces. I, yeah. I just, I love this album. Um, just and, a side note, you yeah. know, who's really fond of this album is one of my favorite guys, Henry Rollins. 
Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't Henry, surprise me at all. <laughs> Henry Henry Rollins says that there are two kinds of people: those who get Devo and those who don't. And Henry Rollins gets Devo. <laughs> so uh, the second song we're going to listen to off this album um, is a song called "Triumph of the Will." It was a thing I had. Probably credit this album for making, I think, synthesizers the, the like the official key instrument of new wave music. Um, this 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 album has incredible synth in it all through it, and and I mean they they spare none of it. It's it's great. Yeah, this is a uh, very um, brave and sort of jarring song, um, which probably doesn't work for a lot of people but if for whatever reason i just i i'm just absolutely enthralled with this song it's just it's such an unlikely song for devo to be doing and for it to work you know yeah 1980 third album Released by Devo is Freedom of Choice, and this changes everything for Devo. This was um, this was a monster hit for them, of course, with um, Whip It. Now, Whip it, yeah. I, technically, are, is Devo technically a one-hit wonder? I, th I think technically they are, right? I think they no, are, right? no, Freedom of Choice. Freedom of Choice was big on on the radio. It, it, also, it hit the top forty. I don't know if it hit the top uh -huh. forty, but it was uh -huh. it, it was played on AOR radio. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Um, you don't think that none of the other the songs from the first album didn't make the top forty? Oh, abs absolutely not. So, Rob, both you and I um, didn't didn't place this album particularly high in our ranking. I, I had it as number four. You you had it about the same place, right? Well. Uh, you say we didn't place it very high. I mean, there's nine albums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this was this uh, freedom of choice was number three for me. Oh, okay. All right. So it, so it was a a little bit. Yeah. High. yeah. I just feel like this is a really well produced album. I, I just particularly coming off the last album, I find the the songwriting and the arrangement just feel a little bit lazy. You know. Uh -huh. um, Interesting. But but it sounds good sonically. Um, it's well, and the, there's lots of songs with hooks. I mean, we're even forgetting about "Girl You Want." Yeah, "Girl yeah, You Want" is a great yeah. song. It's my favorite on the album. Yeah. 
Um, okay, well, uh, speaking of music off this album, let's listen to some. Uh, let's listen to the title track, Freedom of Choice. Cassell thought that uh, Freedom of Choice should have been a single, um, you know, that it was a, a very relevant song. And and I have to agree about that. I, I don't understand why, well, you know, I mean, I mean, it, it was, if I remember correctly, one of the singles, but I really think it, it was, should have probably been, you know, the strongest song. He, he was really surprised that Whip It got, you know, got picked up the way it did. And, and that really came from like this one DJ who played Whip It because he liked it, and that right there is what blew what blew up for Devo. That's that's really what made him. Who was the DJ? Uh, the DJ was a guy named um, Oh gosh, let me see if I can remember it. His name was Rudman, Cal Rudman. Yeah, and and I don't know, maybe he wasn't a DJ, but he was definitely with the radio, and he uh, he played the song, loved it. And, and made sure it got lots of airplay. And Cazell said that they, they went from, you know, playing for 400 seats in clubs to 2,000 to 5,000 seats in stadiums right after that. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, if, if, if I were to make a short playlist of, like, the best ambassadors for new wave music as far as songs go, this song would for sure be on it. You yeah, know, totally, I mean, totally. this it's is a good song. You know, if I'm trying to convince somebody that new wave music is is worthy of, you know, paying attention to, um, you know, it's a song like this. It's a song like "Sweet Dreams Are Made of These." You know, there there are there are certain songs that just absolutely transcend genre, and I I feel like "Whip It" is one of those songs. Yeah, sure, for sure. Well, freedom of freedom of choice, though, is is a great song because it it is relevant, and it's not just this is not just a song for the sound of you know for for sounds. It's not just a bunch of noises put together. It's uh, it's got some really meaty content that stands up even today, and I think that's one of the cool things about that song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what song did you pick, Rob? Well, I I picked one that is a little, to me, a little sillier. I picked a little, of a little yeah. Elvius here. <laughs> <laughs> Which one did you pick? I picked ton of love. All right. <laughs> when woman takes a backseat to man, she has to tell him where to go if she can, and she decides to wear his ring. So it happens. Take your turn, they'll make you 
I gotta say, I have noted, I've, I noted a couple of spots where at least somebody in Devo's love of Elvis Presley uh, peeks through. Um, uh, and I, I'm I'm not a huge Elvis Presley guy, so sure. this is this is a little too referential for me. But um, doesn't surprise me that you picked it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you'd say that. <laughs> okay, let's move on to uh, their 1981 release, New Traditionalists. Um, this is your number one, Rob? Yeah, it is. Okay, uh, and, explain yourself. Well, and I wouldn't have thought just off the top of my head, looking back at my, my listening to Diva over the years, I wouldn't have thought that that was the case. But recently, since I've been listening to these albums over and over, it's it's really grown, grown on me pretty well. Um, huh. Yeah, and... You know, I, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I feel like there's... It's one of those albums where every song I listen to, it feels like there's something hidden in it, and so I'm drawn to to that that message or whatever story it is that they're telling. Um, and I don't know, this it, uh, it surprised me, but this song really, this album really grabbed me. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it did not grab me. In fact, the first couple of times I listened to it, I thought that this might be my least favorite album. Um, Ouch. <laughs> yeah, but but um, the the thing about this album, even though I feel like it's kind of more of the same, only more tired and annoying sounding, it uh-huh. still sounds great. I yeah. mean, yeah. it sounds like the label put a ton of money into the production of this album, um, as opposed to some of the stuff that they did in the the late '80s, early '90s that the production is just schlock. Mm-hmm. Um, so that goes a long way for me. But I, I would say that the two songs that we're going to listen to tonight are my my two favorite songs off of this album. The rest of, rest of them just don't resonate for me for whatever reason. Now, Michael, is this an album that you're particularly familiar with? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the song Through Being Cool. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What are your, what are your, it's just catchy, mm-hmm. you know, we're through being cool. Um, what's, uh, what are your two favorite songs? Uh, well, um, one of my favorite songs wasn't my, I didn't really notice until Rob picked it and, and we've been listening to it on the playlist. Um, what, it, now, Rob, is Soft Things, is that your favorite song off of this album? Yeah, yeah, totally. Soft Things is, is my favorite.
listened to this song probably 15 times, I think, recently. <laughs> and I've seen the videos. Also, I think that it needs to be said that, uh, you know, Devo were pioneers in the new wave genre. That includes videos. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys did a lot for the uh, for the music video market. Oh, they they were huge on MTV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I so I'm I'm going through YouTube and I'm watching videos of the of these songs. And when I got the soft things, there was a comment that somebody made about how Devo gets pretty sexual in their in their lyrics and their songs, but then they they covered up by being totally nerds, like total nerds. You you I, know that that is so funny because. I never would have thought of Devo as being even remotely sexual in their content. But over the last couple of weeks as I've been listening to these albums, there are quite a few songs that are like overtly sexual, um, which just, you know, it's like wall of voodoo, you know, being sexual or something. It just doesn't <laughs> jibe for me, yeah. you know? Well, that, then you look a little deeper, and you, like I said, you see the, the message, messages that they're they're hiding within their music or they've got, you know, these stories that they're telling. You're right about that. It, it's yeah. hidden, but it's in there. Yeah. Um, so, soft things I particularly appreciate because it, it feels a little bit more subtle and not lyrically so much but just musically and melodically a little bit more subtle and nuanced than the rest of the album which sound which feels really a little jerky and simplistic uh, melodically you know like as far as the vocal parts go um so the other song that i really like off of this album is enough Enough said I'm just gonna say playing out that enough said is my other favorite song on this mm-hmm. on this album, and uh, I was really happy to see that you chose it. All right, let's move on to my favorite Devo album. I consider it a new wave masterpiece. I am shocked that you ranked it so low, Rob. Um, this is Oh No, yeah, It's Devo, uh, released in 1982. Um, this should have been just a big huge hit i don't understand why it wasn't but every i mean the the ideas on this album um are so specific and sharp and it's it's like they've got they've got a new shot of energy or something and and i i i feel like Every single one of these songs is working for me. Um, yeah. I 
I absolutely love it. Now, typically, I mean, it it veers very dangerously close to, um, you know, novelty songs, which is not my favorite, but they're executed so well and none of them are novelty songs for the sake of being funny. There's always a message behind the song, which I really appreciate. I feel like, right. um, you know, I feel like they're, they're as close to like B-52s or Wall of Voodoo or a band that, that implements a lot of humor, um, but still doesn't sink into pure like novelty songs. Um, so I adore this album. Uh, I, I, it's, it's probably one of my favorite, all-time favorite new wave albums. Something interesting about this album is that, is that it is not produced by Devo because they had been producing yeah. their, their own stuff, right? I, I got this in my notes too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, Bri- yeah it's, Bri- but Brian Eno did the first he, album, Brian, which, yeah, makes right. so, yeah, right. which makes it so, you know, cutting edge yeah. Um, yeah. sonically. That's yeah. true. Well, this was this was produced by Roy Thomas Baker, who had worked with, yeah, who had worked with a lot of really, you know, a lot of greats, uh, including Frank Zappa. So, <laughs> so and the Cars, the Cars, and the, and the yes, cars. of course, <laughs> the Cars. <laughs> yeah, but that might and that might be where where this fresh new take is coming from. I mean, obviously, he he throws that in there, but yeah, I found that interesting. Yeah, I, I, I just think every song is so distinct um, and they're, they're just so invested in each song. I, I, it feels like an album that was put together with a lot of care. Um, so what song did you pick? What is your favorite song off this album? Well, my favorite song on the album is not one that I chose. Oh, okay. Um, and I think I stayed away from it because it was a single, which was Peekaboo. I love Peekaboo. Oh, yeah. Um, the song that I chose to, to play tonight was What I Must Do. album that my best friend in high school had and so I was pretty familiar with it and loved it back then and then kind of forgot about it and boy I am I'm so thrilled that I rediscovered it and I I actually love it more than I did back then um, because I think I can appreciate uh, the the more subtle layers in there of like social and political satire um, that I, I just 
I love a band that does songs that shouldn't work and yet somehow do. So like a song like Speed Racer should be just the most inane thing ever. But I just, I love it. It's so silly, but yet, um, you know, kind of poignant at the same time in a weird way. That's really nice to hear. But probably my favorite song off of this album is Big Mess. is a great song uh, but I have to say that you made a point of mentioning that I I put this album kind of low on my list and again I, I it's it's all about there's a lot of great stuff and it's got to go somewhere you know it's it's a good album and I don't dislike it at all so I just want to cover that but uh, but yeah what do, you, what do you think about it Michael um you know I'm a big fan of peekaboo I thought that was a great song and and you know as we're as we're doing this and, and on the air, it's like, I, I, you know, I'm glancing at their videos because that's, you know, that's such a way to share music. You know, YouTube has all of this so readily available and their videos are absolutely off the chart. And the Peekaboo video is just off the chart. You know, it's like it, it, they really were experimental, not only with the music, but with their visuals also. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. So one last note I want to make about this album is that this is... Officially, this is not like something I'm pulling out of my butt. This is their fascist clown album. So they had uh, they had been accused of being fascist clowns in the past. So mm -hmm. they decided they were going to make a fascist clown album. And this was that album. Now, ha having said that, I feel like this is their last album where they are like anywhere near being on the vanguard of music. I feel like from here on out, it's kind of downhill. Um, uh, that's, so, that's exactly that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, too, yeah, I'm not sure. Does does anyone have any insight as as far as the the songwriting duties? Is there one primary songwriter in Devo or do they they kind of no. spread the so the 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 duties go between Mark and Gerald. Uh huh. Both of them share the the writing. Mark became a you know, and I don't know when that part of his career started, but Mark became a uh, a writer for music and and uh, for film and television. Oh right. And yeah. right. you know, you don't know what the distraction was. I don't know when it started, but I, I know he in in. in 
you know, the history I know that he was involved in scoring right from the beginning uh, on something with for David Bowie before Devo was even uh, hatched as a as an egg. So. Um, so I, you know, you can only imagine if he was, if they, the career got in the way of the other yeah. career, you know. All right, 1984 sees the release of uh, the album Shout. Um, so, Rob, you, I was, I was surprised that you uh-huh. ranked this as high as you did, but then I look in my notes, and the first thing I have in my notes is looking towards Human League. Question mark. <laughs> so, and I know how much of a Human League yeah. fan you are. Yeah. So, so maybe that's what was resonating with you. Them going well, in that direction. Well, definitely, Human League has a sound that I that I appreciate and that I'm drawn towards. And uh, Devo's sound in this, especially in this album, doesn't. Yeah, it's a, it's very very much like that. I mean, it's at least going in that direction. So you're right about that. Yeah. Well, uh, the, <laughs> you know what I like about this album is it's short. <laughs> I've got that <laughs> on my notes. Um, yeah. I, I just feel like they're, they're forcing ideas into being songs that don't really want to be songs. I mean, uh. I don't know that a more subjective statement has ever been made but that's just kind of like objections to this album this this album is just not working for me um so what is your favorite song off of this album um again i'm i didn't choose my favorite um i like as a favorite are you experienced which is you know Ah. a little Jimi hendrix tune that uh you know, I knew you would love, but I, I, <laughs> I decided not to just, go with that one. Just so you know, Michael, I am not a big fan of of punk and new wave bands doing cover tunes as a as a rule of thumb. So that's what all the asides are about. <laughs> yeah, but you have, I, I mean, you have some great ones. Yeah. You have the slits. You have the slits. Uh, you know, you have some. Really, really great ones. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are definitely exceptions that prove the rule. That um, is for sure. But it just, you know, it just quite often it feels like it's a lazy filler. You know, they've got almost got an album worth, and so they just, hey, let's do a, a fast, irreverent version of. You know, the sound of silence or something. It's like... Or the record company thinks yeah, it might be yeah, a new yeah, hit, yeah, right? So, yeah, yeah. You, you know, we, we, we passed. I, I want to I roll back the time machine here. And we passed on New tra- tra- Traditionalists, one of my favorite songs, which um, I'm realizing it was on that album now, Beautiful World. I actually think oh, yeah. Beautiful World is a beautiful song. Yeah. yeah, you know, I was actually at work today. I was listening to that album again just to make sure that I had my rankings proper. And that was the song that actually jumped out at me. It's like, oh, this is a pretty good song, too. Yeah, it's a I really, really like that song. Yeah. So I, I picked Don't Rescue Me. And, and I, again, the reason I picked it is because... You know, I didn't skip over the cover song because it was a cover, but that cover song was actually one of the singles. And, mm-hmm. uh, you mm-hmm. know, and I really do try to stay away from the singles. Sometimes I can't. Yeah. But So I, I chose Don't Rescue Me. 
So that was Don't Rescue Me on, on Shout. And again, it's it's a number five on my list. So it's it's kind of in the middle. But at any rate, I wanted to mention something that I, I found really interesting because I, I went poking around when doing my Devo research and I looked on their on their website. You know, they're they're selling energy dome hat face shields for the, for the COVID set. You know, they're they're trying to stay on top of uh, 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 trends and safety by uh, taking their their trademark look and, and selling it on their website which I find funny but um, but yeah and and you know maybe that's because again Mark Mark uh, mothers almost died of COVID-19 and he was in the hospital for 18 days so this might be you know their way of saying that that you know they want people to stay safe all right. Well, I think we should kind of go into their next album now. And their next album is Total Diva, which, if I'm not mistaken, was one of your favorites, right, Joseph? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love this album. No, um, <laughs> this is this is um, a pretty pretty dubious affair. Um, released in 1988, um, I feel like it. To me, well, to a lesser degree, the last album, but definitely on this album, it sounds desperate to me. It sounds like uh -huh. they're really struggling to to sound relevant, you know, in 1988. And boy, does it sound dated. Uh, the 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 production is god awful, um, yeah. in very much in the way that many many new wave albums in 1988 were god awful well they they um, like happy like the song happy guy it actually sounds like they are just like we used to have this term um i'm trying to remember it a flock of flying seagull haircut 100s yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, exactly and yeah. and you know and and a bunch of djs at wbcn would 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 use that term and and it would it encompassed all of those bands that were sort of mediocre new wave bands and and you know you listen to at the beginning of Happy Guy and you're you're right there you know it's like meow, 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 you know all the synthesizer yeah. and it's just very yeah. um, uh, cliche. Yeah. Also, this album was also four years after their last studio release, which was longer than they had had you know it was the biggest gap they had since they started yeah. and i think you you made a good point when you said that it's they were really trying to stay relevant they wanted to stay in the in the spotlight yeah and i think that are there it's pretty typical of 
particularly new wave, early new wave bands, that at some point they just burn out and they try to compensate with all of this like production, studio production stuff. Right, right. Um, uh, you, you heard it, you know, you heard it with Blondie's The Hunter, you heard it with mm. the Cars Door to Door. You know, they, they, it's, you know, they, at some point, they just creatively, it sounds like creatively, they just kind of dry up, but they still have to churn the product out. So they really rely on the, the studio tricks. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a tough listen, but listen we shall to the aforementioned uh, happy guy. Feel like I have too much more to say about this album, um, other than uh, to note that this album and the next album were the only two albums uh, of Devo's that weren't released on the Warner's label. Uh-huh. They were released on a a, a little a, an odd little label that I was actually very familiar with at the time called Enigma. And Enigma was, they were kind of like snatching up bands that were kind of like past their heyday um, or, or just getting back in the game. So, so they released like the first couple of Wire albums after Wire got back together in the late 80s. Um, they were they were releasing Roxy Erickson, so they were kind of all over the place. But um, they are now defunct, and because of that, these um, Total Devo in the next album really hard to find and not available on Spotify. Uh-huh. You know, it, it's funny. I love f- with these these type of albums going to. Um, like YouTube or Amazon and reading the comments and the reviews. Cause no matter how bad the album is, there's always someone who goes, this is my favorite Devo album. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is hilarious. Okay. Moving on to, um, 1990s smooth noodle maps. Yeah. Um, this, I, I think that this album is a little bit better than the last one. The, um, the bad 80s production isn't quite as out of control. Um, and, you know, it seems a little bit more focused. 
Mm. It's it's well, you know, it's actually my least favorite mm. album of theirs, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and and this also is on Enigma's, right? This is also yeah. an Enigma album, if I remember yep. correctly. Yep. So. So let's listen to a um, song with a great title called Devo Has Feelings Too. Hopefully we won't hurt them too much yeah. as we talk about this album. Yeah. Well, we always we always say that you know it, we wouldn't be talking about them if they weren't a great band. So um, the the Village Voice critic Robert Criscow um, basically gave this album a dud rating. He said it was it was flat out a dud. But you know what? Devo has feelings too. I enjoyed that song. I enjoyed it. Uh, and it's it's sort of the most dynamic song on the album, I think. So yeah, I, for sure. I, I like it, you know, well enough. All right, let's move on to their last album. It was released um, 20 years later in 2010. Um, this is my third favorite Devo album. I yeah, really wow. like this album. Um, it, it, it's I I got it when it first came out, and it it is way better than it has any right to be they um it's not it's not extraordinary but it is so solid um uh, the they're very grounded they're very focused Mm -hmm. they're um the 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 songwriting is pretty darn good and the sound is kind of classic devo sounding but not terribly dated i mean if if they had released this album right after they had released um freedom of choice it would have been a massive hit but um i uh oh oh, (laughs) should should be said i said it doesn't sound dated except for the part where they keep saying don't tase me bro (laughs) oh no (laughs) yeah that's it um so, Michael, is this an album that you're that you've heard? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I like something uh, for everybody. It's, it's a, a very, um, it, it's a pleasing musical musically. It's uh, it's mm. sort of a driving kind of, you know, it doesn't have to be over the top kitschy. It doesn't have to be, you know, it sort of rocks nicely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. 
Obviously, Devo's days of being particularly relevant or on the vanguard are long, long gone. And, you know, I don't think any sane person would expect that of them. But um, keeping that in mind, I think that this is, um, this is a bit of a gem. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. And this is, a, this is an album that Rob chose not to pick a song from. Yeah. And yeah. so I picked two because I'm just a diva that way. This is my third favorite album of theirs. So, um, you know what? Let's just listen to them back to back. So we'll hear a little bit of the song Step Up and then we'll hear a little bit of the song What We Do. So I, I just want to say before we move on that I don't hate this album. It's my least favorite album. But uh, that said, I, I still think Devo is an amazing band, and I'm, I'm I love them. Yeah. And that to up up until now at least is Devo's um, entire studio release catalog. Um, so I'm I'm. I feel much more uh, knowledgeable about Devo, um, and I think this was a journey well spent. 
Well, plus, we had Michael here to, yeah. to kind of well, thank show you us guys. Some light. Yeah, yeah, thank so, you. So, speaking of Michael, let's let's uh, turn our attention to Michael and uh, your book called uh, Punk, Post-Punk, and New Wave. This is, um, this is a book that Rob and I have been living with for the last week. Um, I'm sure that, Rob, you have lots of questions. Do you want to start out? Well, I, you know, I guess the, the first thing is, is I do want to say that I really enjoy the book. And um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but my day job is in a bookstore. And uh, as soon as I found out about this book, I brought it into the store. And it's really sitting prominently on a shelf, faced out where everybody can see it. So um, in, in one of my favorite sections, which is the uh, performance section. At any rate, I'm looking at the, uh, at the art, which are all photographs by you, Michael, right? They are. They are. They uh -huh. are. I was and, a I was a baby though. You know, don't let the don't let the dates of the book give away my age. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'm looking at these and you've got some really you covered some very prominent bands and I mean these photos basically tell the story that you were living right up in there with these guys. I was. I, I mean in the case of Devo since we're since we're there, I I mean I just photographed them in a, in a in a club and performance a lot of the bands though i actually would hang out with was backstage with and and you know a lot of the in a lot of the cases i would photograph them doing a publicity tour around the different radio stations um and then go see the band at night and then they'd come over to a house party or you know i had uh adam ants drummers over my house uh, listening to records and doing blow all night and and you know drinking vodka you know the, every situation had its own experience but in devo's case it was just a show at the paradise and but think about the first show the first time ever seeing a band like Devo yeah. with them in hazmat suits and baby mask and in a crib. You've got Mark Mothersbug singing in a crib. Like it was <laughs> off the it was off the hook. Yeah, so my 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 first comment about um this book or like the the thing that kept running through my head the first time I went through it is Man, the gang is all here. I was I was hard pressed to think of a favorite punk or new wave band from the late seventies, early eighties that I couldn't find. I mean, I yeah, I sure. I couldn't think of um, a single artist, except for you know some like ecstasy who really never came over to the United States. I mean, I think technically they did, but they stopped touring really early. But I mean, every everyone from David Bowie to the car, obviously, so the cars, they were a local band for you. Yeah, the cars had, um, the cars would hang out, like David Robinson, the drummer was a, was a club person himself, and he would hang out at the local, uh, the local nightclub spit. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's interesting because I talk, I, I've spoken to another music photographer, friend of mine, and you say that, but there are those nights that I wish I had had my camera with me all the time. So, I, I mean, I, 
relate to the bands I didn't photograph and should have. Like, I should have made sure I got the assignment. I should have made sure, you know, I had done it. But there are a couple of good ones I wish I had. The Smiths, who, I, who I'd seen. Um, uh, the Psych Furs, who I'd seen and loved. Um, but you have to realize that there's a lot of bands in the book. I was out almost every night. I was either at this club spit, which was a the, the punk dance club, if you if you will, or you know, I was at a show, either a local show or a you know major show. So, mm-hmm. I I um I, going through the book, I found it amazing. I, I just found it amazing. I'm I'm reading about you shooting Bowie at Foxborough, and uh, you talked about like you did earlier about you were a jazz you were a jazz listener but you were like being exposed to all this all this music um i'm a big iggy pop fan and i just love the fact that you you kind of threw iggy pop in there as uh, you know as some good music that you you latched onto oh my god you know growing up so growing up i was into jazz but i had my i had my faves i had you know there were people that were very influential the velvets i were velvet underground i was listening to uh early on um, Bowie, of course, um, uh, Ziggy Stardust came out when I was in high school, um, loved Patti Smith, didn't really get into Iggy until I moved to Boston, but then Iggy became like a part of my life. I would, you know, I would sit there and moodily sing his songs and imitate his voice and, you know, yeah. he's so, just so amazing, you know, and if anyone asks, his version of China Girl is so much better than Bowie's. <laughs> okay i <laughs> i need to bite my tongue because um we don't we don't have an extra half hour to talk about that <laughs> because as, as much as i don't care for cover tunes that is one of my examples of of a righteous cover tune no yeah, but is. bowie wrote it for iggy uh, i know it's technically bowie wrote it for Dicey. iggy and yeah. then and then he covered it himself after yeah. Iggy did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a cover tune. But um, Rob, yeah. Rob, the other thing too is like the interesting thing I find about this period is mm. a lot of these bands, like the Human League and the Simple Minds, had really sonically interesting records, and then they did the "Don't You Want Me, Baby" and. Um, uh, what was the Simple Minds song uh, that w- was the big hit? Um, don't Forget About Me. Yeah, Don't You Forget About Me. Yeah. And, and right. I think they commercialized, you know, the record companies commercialized them, but their first their first records were like, both of those bands were just fabulous, amazing. Really? Yeah. 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 But I was also listening to the Mekons and the Modettes, and I, I loved... I loved how unusual this period was uh, as compared to regular commercial radio. Well, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, such a, it's such a disconnect because, um, you know, when we do our regular episodes and we look at a certain, uh, like a month or two of releases, we always talk about what's in like the number one songs in the country at the time. So right now we're in 1978 and it's like when we list them, it's all disco. You know, disco is still raging hard at this point. Um, and it's, it's, it, it, there's such a disconnect between that fact and 
all of this amazing music that is that is being produced that you know hardly anyone is paying any attention to well i think that you had these parallel paths right you had you had terrible album oriented rock being produced by record companies who wanted to make as much money as possible so you had kansas and sticks and rush and you know journey and all of those bands that i kind of don't like and and then punk new wave post-punk you know Bauhaus and all those uh, uh, bands like wanted to stir it up they they wanted to be creative and they they made authentic music on yeah. at the same time of uh, your disco and R&B in Motown rap uh, rap and hip-hop did the same thing they, yeah. they were like yeah. this is this is bs man you know i keep thinking this is bs we can't get played because you have to give pay someone off at a radio station or give them a bag of cocaine we can't get played on the air we're just gonna bust it up we're gonna play in clubs and we're gonna get on college radio and 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 it it changed the landscape of music yeah so man i i want to talk to you for another half hour but we are out of time so well um, why don't we schedule something else yeah let's do it absolutely it's, i'm good it sounds like you've got episodes and episodes worth of stories that that we would love to hear uh, michael i want to thank you for joining us talking about devo and and sharing your enthusiasm and insight in, into this music you've been very generous with your time and um, we look forward to uh, touching base with you sometime soon. All right. I want to yeah. thank our I want to thank our audience and you, Joseph and Rob. Uh, um, uh, thanks for having me. Great. Thank you, Michael. And and that book is going to stay on the shelf as long as it keeps selling. We'll keep pushing it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I just I you know it's I love it, man. Thanks a lot. I I, I love that you love it. Fantastic. Nice. Nice. So next month, we are um, jumping into August and September of 1978. We've got, th this is where it starts really getting good. We're from, for the rest of 1978, we are going to look at some absolutely stone cold classic albums that are some of the reasons why new wave and punk music are, well, mostly new wave at this point um is so beloved so that is something to definitely keep your eye open for the first sunday of next month you might you might say it's some of the reason why we're doing what we're doing right now yeah those, those exact bands yeah absolutely and with with some absolutely classic albums yeah. so we will talk to you then all right see ya Society.